<laughs> uh, this week we're going to be focusing, um, this weekend, next week, we're going to be focusing on Thanksgiving. So we come this week of, of giving thanks and gathering with family and friends and, and eating meals and uh, uh, remembering why we should be thankful. And this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12. If you have your scriptures with you, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to be focusing this morning on a life of thanks. <clears throat> Though our passage this morning speaks of a day uh, that we would give thanks. What we're going to see as we walk through this passage is that we are currently living in that day in which we are to be a thankful people and be living a life of thanks. So we're going to talk about things that we should be thankful for and ultimately what a thankful life does and should produce in our life uh, every single day. But to begin, we're going to gather a little bit of background information about Isaiah in case you're not too familiar with him. He was a prophet commissioned by God to bring a message of judgment, bring a message of hope, and also a message of redemption to the nation of Israel. By the time Isaiah becomes a prophet, Israel has been divided into the northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. And Isaiah is a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. The split happened shortly after King Solomon died, and the two what became two kingdoms decided that the north decided they wanted to have their own king. And so they put their, together their own king, who wasn't from the line of Judah. And then they decided, we don't want our people in the north to travel to the south where Jerusalem was and the temple was. And so we're going to build our own temple. And they did that in Samaria. This was not God's plan. This was not God's will. This is not what God wanted for his people. Ultimately, these decisions led to idolatry in the north and in the south. And it led to the rise of prophets to which God used to call his people back, to call them to repentance and to return to him. Now, Isaiah is commissioned as a prophet around 740 B.C., and he did that in the south for Judah. And this is after in the north, the Assyrians had already come and conquered them. And within the first 11 chapters of Isaiah, if you want to read that later today, the bulk of the message is the Lord pronouncing judgment on Judah. And Judah's guilt can be found throughout those 11 chapters. In chapter 1, God says, you've rebelled against me. In chapter 1, he also says, you have forsaken me. In chapter 1, he tells them that he is disgusted with them because they continue to go through the motions of worship and not actually worshiping him in the way he wants. In chapter 1, he tells them that the city of Jerusalem, which is the place where God's presence was believed to dwell in the temple, has now become corrupt that the people of God had turned to false idols in chapter 2. This led God to pronounce a judgment upon his people in chapter 3, and ultimately the result of that judgment is going to bring destruction in chapter 4, but God promises that he's going to leave a remnant. Now, as Isaiah delivers this message to the king at the time, whose name was Ahaz, he begins telling him of the rising threat that's coming from the north and the Assyrians. They've already taken the north kingdom. And then he tells them of the rising threat that's coming from the south and the Egyptians. And he tells them this so King Ahaz can turn his heart to God because the king in the Old Testament represented the heart of the people. And so he would lead this massive returning, awakening, revival. But as King Ahaz hears the message from Isaiah and what God is doing and what is on the doorsteps of the southern kingdom, King Ahaz decides the best course of action is to not turn to God, but instead to turn to the Assyrians and ask them for aid. And so the opening chapters of Isaiah, for the most part, are very dark spiritually, very dark physically for God's people. 
With the north already collapsed, the south is soon to follow, and God's people were living under judgment because of their sinful ways. Yet in the midst of all this judgment and this coming destruction, because that doesn't really sound like something you would preach on in giving thanks, what we see also within the first 11 chapters is the Lord also speaks of a future hope and a salvation that is going to come to His people, that ultimately they are going to be saved. This hope is pointing to the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus Christ. And despite God's people's current predicament, as we come to chapter 12 of Isaiah, we find a day of thanks, which for us now is to be called a life of thanks. So let's read our passage and we'll walk through it. And the word of the Lord says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy and that You have claimed us as Your own. And Lord, we come before you wanting to submit our hearts and our lives to your word, to allow your spirit to reveal things in our life that may need to be corrected or disciplined or rebuked. Father, your word would become living and active in our life. We wouldn't just hear it today, but Lord, we would do it. We would apply it. So Father, be our shepherd as we walk through this passage. Don't let me get in your way and what you want to have done here this morning. You know everyone's heart. You know everyone's situations and circumstances. Lord, there's not a person in here who is hidden from you. And so, Father, just use me as an instrument of your righteousness. But I pray that your kingdom and will would be done here alone, that you alone would be glorified through the studying of your word. Forgive us if we failed you. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> So again, there's some very interesting words here in the Hebrew that we don't really catch in the English language. For example, in verse 1, the you will say in that day, that you is singular, which may not sound very uh, significant when we hear that it's a singular you in the Hebrew language. What God is doing here in this moment is he's calling all of his people you. He's putting all of them together as one unit or one whole. And then if you jump to verse 3, it says, with joy, you. That you there is plural. And it's speaking of salvation, meaning God is not only speaking to his covenantal people of the Old Testament, but all people who will come to faith in Jesus Christ and understand this well of salvation that is found in Christ alone. And this means in 740 B.C., somewhere around in that time, God was already speaking about you. You were already on God's heart and God's mind over 2,500 years ago. So if you need a reason to be thankful, be thankful that the Almighty God, the all-loving God, the Holy God was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. We have been on His mind since the beginning of time. 
We come to chapter 12, and this chapter can be divided very easily into two sections. You have using the phrase, and you will say in that day, in verse 1, and then again we find it in verse 4. In verses 1 through 3, God is speaking directly to his people. That would be people of the Abrahamic covenant. But the message is still applicable today because they were waiting for that day. And now, as I said already, we are living in that day. In verses 4 through 6, God is speaking to all people who are going to be adopted into his covenantal family, which is all people who have accepted Jesus Christ as, his Lord, as their Lord and Savior. So despite the looming destruction coming, despite the looming judgment coming through the Assyrians, God tells his people, don't be afraid, because there will be a day of thanks, and it's on the horizon. God's anger and his wrath has already been spoken of in the previous chapters, but in the day, what is that day? Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2 speaks of, in that day, of the branch of the Lord, In chapter 7, that day will be when the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, that day will be when a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In that day, the righteous branch of Jesse will emerge in chapter 11. People of God will give thanks because though the people of God have acted in sin and wickedness, rebelling against God, going against everything he's told them to do. In that day, through Jesus Christ, God will turn away his wrath. It's worth a hallelujah. And it's worth us saying, thank you, Lord, that we are no longer under your anger and your wrath. And so today, we're going to see through the scriptures that we should be living a life of thanks. And the first thing we see is that we give thanks to the, for the grace of God. Verse 1, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, what happened? Your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. The word thanks there in the Hebrew means to have a heart and life of praise. It doesn't mean to say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing that. That was so nice of you. It means to express praise for what God has done. God in his complete holiness looked upon his people. He looked upon us. He saw us in our sin. He saw us for the punishment we deserve. But what did he do? He gave us his love instead. And he showed us his grace. In Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he writes, Grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. That means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. God in his perfect holiness looked upon his people, which he already explained why he was angry and what they had been doing. And he looked on them in love and grace. And he does the same for us today. Thank you, Lord. If you ever feel that you're undeserving of God's love, then you're correct. If we ever feel we're undeserving of God's salvation, then we are correct. If we feel we're undeserving of God's forgiveness, guess what? We're correct. But then hear this. God, who created the heavens and the earth, is head over heels in love with you. That's a reason to be thankful. And he grants it all by his grace. When we're found in the grace of God, we're found in unmerited an undeserving favor. 
It's something we don't deserve, yet God gifts it to us freely by our faith in Jesus Christ alone. So instead of seeing our sin and our guilt, God cast it all upon His Son. Why? So we might find comfort there in verse 1. The word comfort carries the meaning of consolation. It's to bring the image of a parent holding their child after they've experienced a traumatic loss or a major disappointment. When we recognize our sin for sin and that it has impacted our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and then we repent of that sin, it's then that God steps in as our Father and He wraps us up to deliver us in His comfort. Again, not because we deserve it, but because God is love. And He loves every ounce of who we are. Just think about that. God knows every ounce of who we are, and He loves us for every ounce of who we are. He may not always love the decisions we make or the thoughts we have or the words we use, but he loves us. That's why we sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You all know that one? Is that a familiar one? Ethan, keep them up there. Keep those. You got the words, Ethan? Ethan had a late night last night. Let's sing this together. God, we thank you for your grace. Once we understand God's grace and our call to thank him through praise, it moves us to understanding that God is not only a God of grace and mercy and love, but God is my salvation, verse 2. We give thanks for the God of salvation. The word salvation means deliverance. God is our deliverer. The word salvation also means victory. God is our victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew Him and all my love is due Him. And He plunged me to victory with His redeeming love. God is telling His people when they understand His grace, they will praise Him. And when they praise Him for His grace, they will understand that He is also their salvation. This is the lesson that King Ahaz did not understand. As Isaiah came and brought this news and pronouncement of judgment coming, King Ahaz did not look to God as his salvation. Instead, he turned to the Assyrians for salvation. The Bible says God is my salvation. He is our only salvation. And because he is my salvation, verse 2, we can trust God. The word trust there means we can be confident in the full nature of who God is. And once we understand the almighty power of God and the ever-flowing grace of God, it says that we will not be afraid. See, our life is not about, I got this. Even if we know how to do something, our life is about God has this. And so we don't have to be afraid of anything that comes at us because we know God is in control. In verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
Because we know God and we are known by God, we can live fearlessly by faith no matter what comes in this world. And this is hard because there are times, if we're all honest, things come and they knock us off balance, don't they? They make us worry. They make us stress. They make us lose sleep. But we must be thanks in the midst of the storm that even though we may have been taken by surprise, here's the promise, God is never taken by surprise. Never. Everything's playing out just as according as God has it planned in his book. God being our salvation, he also says that God is my strength there in verse 3. The word strength carries the meaning of fortification. It says, David understood God when he penned in Psalm 139, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. The word hemmed in in Psalm 139 is to speak of the image of God putting us in a bag, which doesn't sound very comforting, but here's the thing, as it gets colder, I don't know if you're like me, but when I get in bed and it's colder, I start tucking the blanket underneath me. I cocoon myself, right? I want to be warm. And then Jamie and I have the the pulling back and forth tug of war all night because we're both trying to cocoon ourselves. But this is the image of being hemmed in, is that God completely engulfs us. That's why he's our strength. Being found in God is to be fortified in his presence, encircled by his love, and wrapped up in his arms. And the beauty of salvation is nothing, the Bible tells us, nothing can separate us from the love of God because nothing is more powerful than the God we serve and love and who loves us. Thank you, God. Because of God being our salvation, this is the reason we give thanks and worship. God is our song. Because God is our victory. And he has given us the victory through his son. And now we live in the day of thanks to have a life of thanks. Psalm 106 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Then we come to verse 3 where we've mentioned the you has changed from the singular and now is to the plural. It says, With joy, you... And we may say around here, y'all will draw water from the wells of salvation. The word wells can also be read as fountains or springs, which may not mean a whole lot to us in this day. But for a well or spring or a fountain, that was a means to survive in Isaiah's day. That's where they went to get water. So our modern interpretation may be you will draw water from the faucets of salvation. Here's the image it's giving us that it is an abundant, never-drying-out source. Give thanks for the abundance of God. And when you hear this and let it just sink in, God's love is never failing. It's never fading. God's love is never ending. God's love for us is never weakening. God's love for us is abundant And we are restored to God through Jesus Christ should be a people of praise and thanks because we did to draw our strength, our comfort, our lack of fear from the unfailing fountain of God's grace. Since the you of verse 3 is pearl, this means we not only have joy within ourselves, but when we gather together with God's people to form the body of Christ, this should be a place of joy. 
This should be a place of celebration because as we gather, we gather to to draw into the unfailing resource of God's salvation. Our gatherings are to be a gathering of joy and festivity, not because we are good, but because God is good. God is good all the time. Mine from the scene of Mary Poppins, one of my least favorite Disney movies ever, but my daughter loves it. (laughs) You may, the original Mary Poppins. You may remember seeing she arrives at the house and she comes to the place the kids show her the room she's going to be staying in and she sets her bag on the table and begins looking around and in her British accent says, oh, this will do, this will be sufficient or this will be nice. And then she starts pulling things out of the bag to make the room a little more livelier and she pulls out a, a standing hat rack and the kids are amazed, they're looking under the table. Then she pulls out a plant to sit on the floor in the corner. Then she pulls out a mirror to hang on the wall. And then she goes looking for a tape measure. And she looks for a tape measure because she wants to measure the kids and see how ornery they are. She almost gets her whole upper body into the bag, just digging down. And and the kids are looking and are trying to figure out where the hole is. I bring it up because I think this is a great image of the love of God. It has no bottom. It has no end. You can draw deep into it. This is why the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Thank you, Lord. Let's jump to verse 6. Would you come back to verse 4 and 5 in a second? Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We should give thanks for the presence of God. The word shout there in verse 6 means a cry of rejoicing. It literally means to give a shrill cry. It's that noise some of us are going to make later this afternoon when we're watching our favorite football team and they do something great and we're going to yell at it like we're in the stands ourselves and we're going to woo or whatever. It's that noise. Ethan, throw that picture up here. It's that noise a parent gives when their child does something spectacular in a game. If you don't know who that is, that is Kendrick Campbell who's jumping like 15 feet in the air. That's the image I see when I hear this this shout, this shrill cry. It's just to let loose and to praise, and this praise is directed to God. 15. He did use the fence for help. In the context of Isaiah, God has pronounced judgment is coming. And God's people, except a very small remnant, were going to be taken away from the promised land. They were going to be taken away from Jerusalem, the place where the Jewish people believed the Lord would dwell and dwelled there. Even though God told them, I don't dwell in a building. But now they're going to be returned here by the time we get to verse 6. They're going to return to the place where they will live in the presence of God. For us, this truth of Scripture tells us when we find God's grace. 
when we accept God's love for us, when we find the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, and we receive salvation in Christ alone, here's what Scripture says, is God now dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. We are now the temple of God. And then when we turn to, to gathering together in this place and we form the church, we gather in the name of Jesus Christ and get this, in the presence of the Almighty Father. This isn't just a building. You're not just sitting in a seat. When we belong to God, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We belong to God and we live in the presence of God. Sing for joy. Shout. Coming back to verse 4 and 5. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. So we give thanks and live in thanks for God's grace, for him being the God of our salvation, for him being the God of abundance. And he continues to bless us over and over for us being allowed to be in his presence but you notice here in verse 4 and 5, this, this giving of thanks and living in thanks isn't for us individually. It's not just for us as we gather as a church. Thanks is to lead to pro public proclamation. A heart of thanks begins individually. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. But then the heart of thanks moves to a public proclamation. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that he is exalted, and this is to be made known in all the earth. What Isaiah is saying, and what he is pointing out, what God is telling us through his word, is that our worship of God is directly tied to our evangelism, our proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you've ever wondered, why do I struggle with sharing my faith? Why do I struggle with sharing this good news I found in Jesus Christ and struggle with the gospel? We all do it at times, but if we have that question, then we have to look at our heart. Is our heart a place of thanks? Is it a place that praises God and worships God for all that he has done in giving us salvation? Great evangelists are great evangelists first because they were great worshipers. They have been captivated by God's grace. They've been captivated by his goodness. They have been overwhelmed by his love for them and his mercy given to them. They have fallen in love with the forgiveness and salvation, and they can't help but proclaim it to the people and the nations. So as we gather around the table, or tables this week, maybe for you, and we gather with family and we gather with friends, and most of us will give thanks in some way, let's make sure we give thanks where thanks is due. Let us proclaim at those tables, even if there are some that are gathered there that don't want to hear it, we're thankful that God saved us. We're thankful that God forgave us. We're thankful that God loves individuals like us who are not perfect, but we're saved, we're forgiven, and we're loved by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul, who's commissioned by God to write the majority of the New Testament, wrote this to his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, saying, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, as Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Every time I read that, and I think, Paul, if you thought you were the worst of sinners, what in the world does that make me? 
You were commissioned by God to take the gospel into the known world and to write the word of God so we could have it today. I know who I am. I know what I struggle with, but here's what I also know. I know who I am and who we are right now if we're found in Christ. You are loved and claimed by God as his own. It's not because of anything that we've done to deserve it, but it's by his grace. So let's not just give thanks on a day or during a week, but as God's people, let's live in thanks. God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And once we had not received mercy, but now in Christ we have received the full mercy of God. Perhaps you're here today, and the reason you're here is because you need to know why to give thanks, and that's because God loves you. I don't know where everyone is here this morning. I don't know if you just know about God or if that you're in a relationship with God found in Jesus Christ, but if you're not or you're even unsure, I don't know if I'm saved and forgiven. I don't know if I have eternal life. And this is why you're here. God has brought you here so you can hear the gospel, the good news, and this is the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. That's your sole purpose in life is to be in a relationship with God, to be tied in. But the problem you have is you have sin. You're just like the people of God here in the opening chapters of Isaiah. You're, you're doing corrupt things and wicked things and things that are not pleasing to God, and judgment is still hanging on you. But God knows this about it. He knows we have sin. He knows we can't fix our sin problem. And so God sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins and rise again that you might be forgiven. The Bible says when you believe that God loves you that much, and Jesus Christ did that for you. He took your punishment, and you placed your faith in Christ alone and what he has done. The Bible says you will be saved. So you admit your sinner to God, you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again, and then you confess it. And to confess is to make publicly known. So I'm going to be standing here this morning. If you need to come in and confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you need to find forgiveness and salvation... I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. We'll talk about it. We'll pray about it. We'll celebrate. But maybe you're here and you've just been going through it. It's hard to have a heart of thanks when you're going through stuff, right? Remember, our thanks is focused on who God is and what God has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. You are good. Lord, forgive us those times we lose focus. Forgive those times we think that we've got to figure it out. Forgive those times we don't trust you. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. But I pray for the individuals this morning that don't know you as their Lord and their God. Lord, that your spirit in this very moment would speak to their hearts and reveal that to them. Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I know we all stumble, we all fall, we all have moments where we don't have a thankful heart. Lord, help us this week as things get busy and things start to stack up to remain focused on you. Forgive us if I failed, forgive me if I failed you in any way. If anything I said is not of you, Lord, just take it from our minds. You alone are worthy and we praise you. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.